Okay, so we're back in January. Yeah, so this is in January, and, you know, I'm realizing, oh, I'd also, along with the psilocybin, like the, what people call like a macro dose trip, I tried some micro dosing, um, which is another whole thing I was looking into that some people use to manage anxiety and depression. Um, and I don't know, you know, maybe that's something I would have to try on a longer basis. Um, I don't, it just didn't seem like it was bringing me relief. So I just thought, you know, I think I just need to try a different medication. It's fine to be on medication. You know, I've tried this other route. Let's talk to my doctor about that. I try Lexapro just cause I'd like heard some good things from some people on it. It's like, okay, let's try this one. That for me, um, made my anxiety worse. And I heard like that can happen. So I was just kind of waiting for that to balance out. So yeah, I'm like, okay, this. Yeah. let's just keep going. You know, I'm reading like online reviews about it and people saying like, hang in there for like at least six weeks and like, okay. But it was, Ooh, yeah. I don't think I've ever had as rough of a transition on a medication before, but some people swore by like, yes, I felt the most horrible in my life. And then it was amazing and pop, it worked for me. And it was like, okay, you know, that maybe that'll be me. So I'm a few weeks into this medication. Maybe I'd hit the six week point, something like that. Like still kind of waiting for it to kick in. And my husband gets COVID. So this is by, you know, this is mid February. That's what you needed. Cause yeah, (laughs) this is, this is what, yeah, this is what we need. Right. So finally it's like two, what, two years into the pandemic and like we finally get COVID in our family. And so he gets it. Yeah, I'm already, yeah, I can feel like, again, the anxiety just reacting and I'm not feeling well. And I'm like, is that just like anxiety? You know, I'm not sleeping. I already, my sleep had been great, like being on this medication. So then I test positive for COVID like two days after him. I remember the date, it was February 16th. Um, and I actually went and got like a PCR test to make sure. So I knew that's what it was. We both start out with similar symptoms. You know, we're thinking like, this doesn't seem that bad. You know, we didn't have, and here's another thing about COVID that I think most of you probably know um, at this point, but it's like, it's not just a respiratory illness. That's kind of initially what it was for most people of like, oh, you gotta, you know, people are having trouble breathing and they're being put on ventilators. And, you know, it's like that can happen, but we had like no respiratory symptoms, you know, no breathing issues, no coughing, I think as well. Um, I think I had like a bit of a sore throat, um, but the main symptoms were fatigue, incredible fatigue. I had a bad headache. And so we just, we were like lying down. We have help with our kids. So they were able to go elsewhere and we were just like lying down, not really doing anything for a few days in our house, you know, getting takeout and things like that. And that, you know, was for about it was five days or so and I think my husband started to be like okay I think I'm maybe starting to come out of this and he starts like doing a little more I remember him going for a walk being like whoo I'm still tired like going for a walk but I think I'm you know there's that kind of back and forth that I think a lot of people experience um as they're coming out of it well I this was about a weekend yeah maybe 10 days um I start to go into a dark place that I've never been to before and this is after the dark night of the soul the dark season of the soul that I've already been walking through so that's saying something something is happening and I just knew something was happening in my brain that was terrifying because I did not there was a level of depersonalization I think is the term that's actually used to describe this like 
I did not feel like myself in a way that was the most unsettling feeling I think I've ever had. Like where, and I also felt this sense of being unsafe. And again, it was anxiety, but it was something on a different level. Like I did not, I was, I remember the moment when I think I really sat there and like thought about what it was. And we were both, my husband and I sitting and watching, and we were just trying to watch like rom-coms, you know, just sort of light. And I remember sitting there and just feeling like the deepest sense of dread and panic, like watching this rom-com. And I was just like, I can't even watch this. And I, I didn't, I, it felt unsafe even being in my own mind and body is the best way I can describe it. Um, like I wanted to escape from my own mind and body being in there felt like this terrifying prison, but I was stuck in there and yeah, it was, so I ended up calling the mental health crisis line for Kaiser. So I'm like, I don't know what's happening. You know, like, do I need to go? Like, can someone help me? Is this normal with COVID? I end up going to urgent care. I think I talked to them first and they're like, well, God bless them, but they're not equipped to respond to this type of thing. You know, she gave me a few of those sort of standard suggestions and like, oh, maybe you can listen to some meditations on the Calm app. And I'm like, thank you, sister, but um, <laughs> I'm going elsewhere. So I end up going into urgent care and I'm also, I'm feeling like such extreme fatigue, but also complete a sense of being completely freaked out and Is this when you text me? I think I maybe texted Nicole at this point, like, I don't know what's happening to me. Yeah, like, I might need to go to the The hospital. hospital. We had started talking about, like, you know, you, if I keep feeling bad enough, like, you can go to the hospital. Like, Mm -hmm. there is help. Like, that's okay to do. Like, that's what it had gotten to. I had never actually considered that before in my life through all of, you know, my journey of anxiety and depression, but it was like, yeah, sometimes going to the hospital is maybe the thing to do. So that was on the table now. And also, I asked you if it was okay um, to tell two people that are part mm-hmm. of the inner circle. Mm-hmm. I was like, can I? Is it yes. okay? And you said yes. yes. And so then, again, in this speaking to people around, like, you you were not ready to tell her bigger group mm-hmm. and I was like okay well what about these two people mm-hmm. and you said okay mm-hmm. and then we started like and again where Stacy didn't have to pretend mm-hmm. to be in a different state than she was in but mm-hmm. she wasn't alone mm-hmm. so again I can I can show up and tell you exactly who I am and so then I text those two people and I and I said Stacy's in such a bad place she's we're talking about her going to the hospital, mm-hmm. you know, I said, and I told them, I said, all you need to do is tell her how much you love her and like, mm-hmm. don't, you know? And so then when he started this little threat, mm-hmm. so yeah. Yeah. And that was another sort of level of surrender, surrender, because I was scared. I was scaring myself. And so to tell other people about that kind of like mm-hmm. the, like telling people you're having suicidal thoughts, like this was just another, you know, level of that, like, I don't know how to tell people that like I am really afraid of what's happening to me yeah. right now. So like Nicole helped me do that with some of our other closest people. Um, yeah, and I'm talking to my husband about it, and yeah, I think I told him I said I think I need to go into urgent care and just see what see what they can do. I don't feel safe. Right. Um, and again, it's not like I feel like I'm going to do anything to myself, but I I don't feel safe in my I own body. Yeah. yeah. So I go in, you know, again. I know, thank you, healthcare system, you're working hard and you're doing a lot of things to help people. 
but I don't think they knew what to do. Yeah. No, the um, healthcare just, they're, 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 they're not equipped for mental health. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Their toolkit is limited. Yeah. And, you know, since I wasn't having, again, the acute, like, respiratory symptoms, you know, I had even driven myself to right. the hospital. And, you know, that type of thing. I'm like, yeah. And, like, I am not well. Um, and they said, well, you're basically your choice. I, they put me on the phone with another mental health crisis counselor while I was there in urgent care. And they basically said my option was to like check myself into you know the emergency room and then they would you know refer me to psychiatric and again that was on the table and i just had to really put some thought into like okay and so i just i went back home i held on to that idea i was just kind of like waiting to see like is that something that i need to do um and I, yeah part of me i think i don't know i just envisioned the hospital situation and was like i think i'm still better at, off at home like in my familiar space you know with loved ones who can be around me versus a hospital situation um so yeah this this darkness this like very frightening feeling of something being not right in my brain continued um, I think, you know, I, and I had sort of like had this timeline in mind, I'm watching my husband get better and I'm like, Oh, maybe I'll just move out of this soon. Mm-hmm. You know, I had plans with friends. Oh, by this date, I'll be able to do this, you know, with a friend. Well, I end up having to cancel, you know, I'm still so tired. Um, yeah, I'm still just really not feeling like, is this when you started thinking about the evolve? Yeah, so I think, yeah, this is also when, because I, in the fall, looked into um, ketamine infusions, which is another form of ketamine treatment. I had taken the lozenges at home, which is a much lower dose. I did, that's what I had tried back in November, and I think some of that helped me for a short period, but I looked into the infusions are a much higher dose, and you go into a special clinic, it's very, you know, you're monitored the whole time, um, and it's just a more intensive experience that can really help, um, with anxiety and depression and especially people who are in sort of like crisis. Um, so yeah, at this point it's expensive. That was a big thing holding me back was like, you know, insurance doesn't cover this. I'll have to pay out of pocket. But at that point, that's when I made the call to them and I'd already talked to a psychiatrist who could refer me where I, what I called to get on their schedule. I just thought, I, I think this is, this is the time to do it. Um, you know, we had some savings sort of like, this is what, if this isn't an emergency, I don't know what is. Right. Like I had to acknowledge like the urgency. And so I thought, okay, let's try, you know, maybe the ketamine infusions are, can be helpful here because again, I'm not being offered any other solutions. Um, and just so people know that was three times a week for, so it's two weeks in a row and you do it three times a week. It's six infusions that are all like very closely scheduled yeah. together. So I, that when I had to wait, cause there was like, yeah. you know, I had to, wait a few weeks before my first appointment. So in the meantime, you know, I'm going back into the doctor again and there, you know, I'm just getting my, my vitals checked. I, I just thought like, I just want to see if there's anything else wrong with me. Again, the fatigue was so incredible. Like there was so little I could do. I would just, you know, I'd get my kids ready in the morning and then I would just have to lie down um, and there was just less and less. It almost it kind of got worse after a while. Um, there was less and less that I could do. I was barely sleeping. Um, I would sleep maybe two hours a night, and it was like nightmares over the two hours. Um, I would close my eyes, 
and I would just have these like hallucinatory kind of visions. Again, that's when I also knew like something is not right in my brain. It felt like one of them I remember in particular, I'd, I thought of as like puppets that Jim Henson would have designed if he were on an acid trip. It was just like, <laughs> you know, these very unsettling images. Um, and, and this was also the time when, so it was really hard for me to be around my kids at home. My kids are four and six, you know, they're kids, they have a lot of energy, they're loud. And that like things started just to freak me out. I was in this state and I realized that such an, an activated state of PTSD basically that like I would hear one of my kids kind of like talking loudly or yelling and I would sort of shudder. I would hear, I'd be sitting in our living room next to our kitchen. I'd hear the refrigerator running and just like that sort of buzzing sound would kind of um, yeah. set me off. I would look at any, I would look at something neutral. I would look at one of my kids' faces and feel completely freaked out. It was just this deep, dark dread, this sense of impending doom. And it felt completely irrational, but it was coming from somewhere. It felt like deep in my subconscious or my body. And it just was coming out like triggered by almost anything at this point. Um, so this was around the time when I talked to Nicole, or I think maybe you offered it, Nicole. Um, I don't know if you want to say from your perspective that I could come over to your house yeah. and just be here. Yeah. And that was another, Nicole is my Virgil, by the way, I started calling her Virgil because she was like, she was my guide in the darkness. She was, you know, showing me as I was going through the circles of hell. Um, and I would just come over to Nicole's, you know, she lives on her own. This was before Buddy was part of the family, uh, works from home. And I would just come and lie on Nicole's couch yeah. because this was at a time when I, I literally didn't know what else to do. I was having times when I would stare out the window and I would just look outside, be like, I don't want to be anywhere. Like there was nowhere I wanted to go, like nothing I wanted to do. It was a level of disinterest like, that I had also not experienced. And even, exhaustion. And exhaustion, Yeah. Um, that I had not experienced before, even though I'd had, you know, disinterest during depression and that sort of thing. Um, this was like, I don't want to do anything. And it's like, and I also don't want to be here, like in my own, like mind and body or in my own house. Like, I just don't want to be like, that was sort of the, 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 um, repetitive thought I was having. And I also was walking around with this, like, I'm not okay. I'm not okay. I'm not okay. Kind of like loop. Like I knew something was not right. Um, and I was sort of just walking around with that internal, um, monologue going on. So I'm coming over to Nicole's house and at least I have, there's a sense, I still freaked out and unsafe as I'm feeling in my mind and body. There was a sense of safety here at Nicole's. Um, and I would just lie on the couch and that was another level of surrender. I know, I knew when Nicole offered that, I was thinking, just thinking like, okay, you know, when you're in some of these kind of situations and you think that's nice of that person, but I won't need to like you know, play that card or use that. And I just remember the first time I was like, I'm coming over. I needed, I couldn't be in my own house. There was, everything was too triggering there. I needed to be somewhere that felt safe and that there was just like calm energy and not a lot was going on. You know, Nicole was just on her computer working, but I would just lie on the couch. Also, um, I don't want to get into it because I don't want to detract from this conversation, but I went through my version of this in 2006 and so it wasn't just that she was coming over like I'm just a nice lady that she was coming over but I was sharing my experience strength and hope 
around my experience of the perfect storm Mm -hmm. and the collapse and the exhaustion Mm -hmm. and crawling out of it. And this is in 2006 compared to 2022. And when you said like the second wave of information of healing, like Mm -hmm. all I had was sell it. Like there was no information about this. I just had a bunch of woo woo women Mm -hmm you know, telling me about mind-body connection and PTSD Mm -hmm. and historical and Peter Levine had just come out with Mm -hmm. Waking the Tiger. So, so very much like recovery, Mm -hmm. I, in a completely different context, was the old timer saying, I've been there Mm -hmm. and I'm not there anymore. Mm -hmm. So that, so it wasn't just that I was her sponsor and that this was a safe place for her. She had been coming over here, but it was also that you were coming over to a woman's house that was like I different story, mm-hmm. but the identification, mm-hmm. and I'm not there anymore. Mm-hmm. So, and yeah, you can just lay on the couch because I understand, like, this is all I can do. Right, and I was uh, nodding emphatically at various points of your story. So I'm, even though I know it's uh, probably you know hard in some ways to talk about, it's a gift because there were times where I was like, eh? <laughs> you know, like for those of you on the phone here, I I'm nodding emphatically because uh, um, like the when you were talking about like the refrigerator going off and that activating you, or you know, that's kind of uh, my current experience where it's just like. You know, it's like, I don't know, like glass yeah. rubbing mm-hmm. on your skin or something. Yeah. It's very... Mm-hmm. Too um, loud and extremely yeah, close. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, it's, it's helpful just when, you know, to hear other women, people, yeah. don't have to be women, <laughs> yeah. having similar experiences. And, and there's something really powerfully healing in that. Um, and, yeah, and to um, have that show up you know in in someone else's experiences um is really helpful so So before we go on i want to dilate here for just a second which is that you know another way of saying this is that you're activated Mm -hmm. so uh, there's many books out there many different terms language here's how i understand it when i'm not activated um my uh hearing receptor you know, is pretty normal. Now, even normal for me as a highly sensitive, um, highly intuitive person where someone else may have a transition, transition, transistor, transition radio, transistor radio, transistor Mm -hmm. radio. Like I've got a little satellite dish, right? Mm -hmm. So I, in a normal state Mm -hmm. already can pick up a lot. That's part of the introversion is, is like, you know, you walk into a coffee shop, it's nice and quiet. I walk into a coffee shop, I hear 12 bodies breathing. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? That's just normal. Now, when you're activated, that little satellite dish that I have, all of a sudden is a fucking NASA dish. <laughs> you know what I mean? And the air <laughs> hurts me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And... And yet I'm trying to fucking pass for normal Mm -hmm. and there's no way for me to do it. Mm -hmm. Like some part of my brain knows 
I can't pass for normal right now, which mm-hmm. means I'm going to get found out. Mm-hmm. Also, so again, social instinct, boom. Also, it's like, I'm like, I'm so vulnerable right now that my animal instinct is like, I'm going to, this is the perfect time to, to take a shot at me. Mm-hmm. I can't handle it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to implode. Mm-hmm. So the, con- and then my response is I have to completely control my environment in the sense of like, I need a quiet place because even a quiet place is loud, but at a, at a level that I can handle, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Because unless it's like, you know, an empty room painted some cerulean blue color with pillows and clouds and whatever, where my butt, unless it's a, what, isolation tank? What are they, you know what I mean? Unless it's that, everything is giving Mm -hmm. me input, Mm -hmm. sensory input. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's the too loud, extremely close. Mm -hmm. So when you're activated, it is like now all of a sudden you have a NASA dish and all of this information is coming at you. Mm -hmm. So that the refrigerator noise is like, that's so fucking loud. How am I supposed to concentrate? Mm -hmm. Which lead, and this is what we're going to tie to, which is, is like, all the different ways I want you to keep going with your story because you were forced to do this around like, okay, now what do I do? Mm-hmm. Now what do I do? Like I've got a fucking NASA dish. Mm-hmm. My body is on fire. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And because my body's on fire, this is exhausting. Mm-hmm. It is exhausting mm-hmm. to, to have this NASA dish mm-hmm. and to be processing this level of emotion. Mm-hmm. And I, biologically this is only supposed to be happening for me out in the tundra you know what i mean when a lion's coming at me mm-hmm. you know my body is wired for this fight flight freeze mm-hmm. you know what i mean where i go into this hyper elevated state i can hear you know what i mean like enemies in the forest you know so and then i'm my adrenaline is pumping so that i'll be ready for an attack or I'll be ready to flee from my fucking life. Okay, thank you, body. You know what I mean? But now... The refrigerator I'm... is not going to attack. Yes! <laughs> the refrigerator is not going to attack. You know what I mean? Like, so again, and this, and so for people who are listening, this is what we are getting to. But we really, just like when you tell your story in AA or OA or whatever, what it was like what happened and what it's like now so we are at you and then you also you called me and said you know ketamine treatments can you drive me i was Mm -hmm. like done Mm -hmm. i like called my boss i was very fortunate you know Mm -hmm. i work for a healthcare organization i said i didn't ask her permission i said here's what i need to do Mm -hmm. here's what i'm going to do how would you like me to negotiate this uh-huh. and fortunately for me i'm salary mm-hmm. so you know i just worked you know later but stacy called me what about these times perfect mm-hmm. you know what i mean and then every even though it was it was six sessions but the f- mondays your psychiatrist was there mm-hmm. yeah. you know what i mean and then 
the first Wednesday, which was your second, mm-hmm. I went off, I took my work computer, went off to Starbucks. Mm-hmm. I think the third one, I Friday is the first time I came in. Yes, I think so. You know what I mean? And then the next Monday, Zach was there. Mm-hmm. Wednesday, I was supposed to come in, but they forgot to come and get me. Right, there was a mix-up with one of them. Yeah. But then I think the last two you were there, because I remember some of those. Maybe they were the last two. I forget which Yeah, ones one now. of them, yeah. But they were two of the most powerful sessions yeah. that I had, I yeah. think, because you were there. Right. And I had such a safe... Yeah, we did a little guided meditation right. thing that was right. really profound. Yeah. Also, just not to get too much into this, if you want to talk about that, that's fine, but whether you do or not, in the guided meditation, we talked about you and your inner little girl. Mm-hmm. So basically where this terror started Mm -hmm. where did this who which aspect of you which layer Mm -hmm. of being of you Mm -hmm. got so terrified right right and then over the years that fear accumulating so we're we're at the ketamine treatment so you want to yeah so yeah nicole helped me we basically did like a guided meditation um where, yeah, I got in touch with, you know, probably like a four-year-old version of me. Um, and, yeah, it was very emotional. It was really powerful. Um, just feeling a sense of, like, I guess, um, finding her again. Um, yeah, we talked about how, like, our inner children had been sort of, like, feral, kind of out by themselves. Um just abandoned like out in the streets um so we'd done different things to survive so it's just kind of like leaving them um but for me it was like finding her again and being like i'm not going to abandon you anymore and i didn't know exactly what all that meant you know entirely at that time but just the sense of like yeah we're gonna i'm doing this with you now yeah and so knowing that part of my journey was leading me there with all of this stuff you know um, and another in another venue or not venue in another dialogue someone would call this soul retrieval Mm -hmm. so we're calling it like you know finding your little girl getting connected to that that core wound or that core whatever where the ptsd started from so i just want to for anyone listening like some people call this soul retrieval where you've lost parts of yourself and then you have Mm -hmm. these big experiences where you find them again. And I kind of think that, you know, the little, your little, your youngest little girl is really like the core piece mm-hmm. of like, you, you have to find that yeah. because when you don't find that, what's, what's there is the shrapnel that sent that piece mm-hmm. or that dislot disconnect or blew her apart. And so there's shrapnel right in that place. Mm-hmm. And so much recovery is how free do you want to be and so it's this journey back to that core wound through whatever modality was the word that i was looking for through whatever modality some people do it through yoga some people do it through like woo woo soul retrieval you know however you know stacy did it through ketamine you know and and then getting finding your little girl taking that shrapnel Find it. And then taking the shrapnel out of your heart, let's use that analogy, mm-hmm. going in, doing the open heart surgery, taking that shrapnel out and finding like, oh, this, 
this is my little girl. This is my, you know, core wound. Now there's just like surgery, just like anything else. That's just the beginning, mm-hmm. you know? Right. Yeah. It makes me think of too, from, you know, this is like ACA perspective, what they call the original soul rupture. I yes. love that language of ACA, you know, where you're like going back to the original soul rupture, whatever that time might be, or, you know, version of yourself. Uh, yeah. And where it's like, oh, if you're like removing shrapnel from your heart or going through open heart surgery, like it's a, a an intense recovery after open heart surgery, right? <laughs> like that's just like, oh, we just, you know, took yeah. out. There's the healing and then there's the integration. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's a lifelong thing, people. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And I also want to say, Nicole, you were saying some things that reminded me of, I think we had started having conversations about this back in the fall, you know, when I was really going into the depths first, but maybe it was, yeah. Anyway, it was around my sobriety and recovery birthdays in January. So I reached 13 years this past January and just having those conversations like, I've done all this work over 13 years to get here. Fuck like, this. What? Yeah. Like, yeah. Fuck this journey. And yeah. this, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, Oh yeah. I appreciate all the work I've done, but like, really, this is where I am right now. Yes. God. Um, like in a hardcore, like very close to feeling a sense of, uh, bait and switch, mm-hmm. you know, fuck you. You, and mm-hmm. that was definitely my experience in 2006 was 13 mm-hmm. years. And I remember saying, I don't, and again, you know, people who know me and know Stephanie, know Stacy, you know, God is just a good monosyllabic placeholder, but it was definitely like, I knew that I didn't want to divorce God because I wasn't going to stop being a spiritual person. But the way that I explained my level of anger was like, imagine like being in a marriage where you know you're with your soulmate and your life partner, but you are so angry at them Mm -hmm. that you're like, I cannot sleep Mm -hmm. with you. You are sleeping (laughs) on the couch. Like, I can't even look at you right now. I feel so betrayed by what's happening. Yeah. I don't want to hear that this is for my own good. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to hear fucking any of that yeah you know I worked my ass off yeah to be going to ketamine treatments and not and for me I worked my ass off for four months of disability for exhaustion Mm -hmm. because my uh, adrenaline you know cortisol had burned my body down Mm -hmm. like yeah this this is what but I also remember saying to you like this is where you are really gonna find out if you believe in a higher power or not. <laughs> like, there are were, no uh, yeah. atheists and warriors. Yes, in foxholes. There's no atheists in foxholes. <laughs> like you are really like in a core, core way. You are gonna find out if you believe in a higher power. And you're not going to be able to fake it. It's not going to be able to be a concept, mm-hmm. a thought, an idea, someone else's mm-hmm. story. You are going to have to find it and you are going to have to find what it means to you because it's the mm-hmm. only fucking thing mm-hmm. that's going to get you out of here. Mm-hmm. And even my version yeah. of the higher power, that's not yours. Yeah. You can't borrow somebody else's. You cannot borrow somebody else's. Um, yeah. I mean, and there was so much of this period where I just felt like so disconnected from a higher power and like resentful and then definitely in this period once, you know, I got COVID and was in this like new version of darkness. Um, 
yeah and talking to nicole about just like what is like my life feels like it's imploding like what is happening um and so that went on for a while but i'm going to jump ahead to then there were little glimmers or these little moments like when we had the sort of realization and Nicole was talking to me about like, oh, and I had 13 years and she was talking about 13 being also an auspicious number and not bad luck. And there's, you know, a whole other tradition around this number, but you 13 know, moon cycles in a year. Yeah. And, and just putting together, I think I texted you one day. I was like, okay, I know that there is a God because I have a sponsor who went through her own version of this at 13 years and like now she is helping me. Okay, I mean that kind of blows my mind. And then also I remember Nicole saying to me like I think one of my first calls after I got COVID and I was in one of the new really scary dark places, saying okay it's February 2022 20, right now. This is how you're feeling today. You will not feel like this forever. Yeah. Like, and you had to keep repeating that at different times, yeah. like over the next few months, really. But like so, in that early period in like February yeah. and March, that was sort of a, and like, and you're not going crazy. Yeah. I actually had to ask Nicole and my therapist, and I think, I think it was mostly you two, to like, tell me, I had to say like, will you please remind me that I'm not going crazy? Right. And that, you know, just like, that was, I think the fundamental part of it. Yeah. And like, and for, to know that Nicole had been through a version of this and she saw what was happening in me. And so I could believe her when right. she told me that there was other people who could say, just like, Oh no, you're not going crazy. You know, cause they're just trying to be helpful, but it had a different meaning to me to hear right. from someone who had walked this path and come out the other side. And she had told me again and again too, like this will change. Right. You will get through this. Like your life will all not be like this. And to know that she said this from experience. Yeah. That those were the crumbs that were getting are. me and through. Here and are. here I am telling this story. So I want to say this yeah. because <laughs> I know because Did you we're know? we're all grabbing tissues right <laughs> yeah, now. Yeah. Just so you know. <laughs> Stella said to me, and this is exactly what I said to Stacy when I was going through it. Stella said to me. There will be a time in your future, and in that time, you will be looking back, talking about this time. And that is what Sella said to me, and that is what I said to Stacy. Yeah. There will be a time in your future, and we will be talking about this time. Yeah. And I need everyone to know, like, we, it's, this is happening real time. Yeah. Like, <laughs> this Stacy telling the story She's not told this story before. No. It's happening right now. Yeah. This is the day that I had to keep telling her there will be a time in your future, and it's a fucking miracle that it happened actually relatively as quickly as it did. And yeah. that's a testament to all of the health practitioners out there. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And who all are, the work that you do. And all to, the women, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, who have tread the path before mm-hmm. and how hard you worked at this. Yeah. 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 I like to say, um, yeah. So that kind of brings me to, um, so you're over here, you're feeling like you're going crazy. We're doing the ketamine. Yeah. I'm lying. I'm coming in, you know, lying down on Nicole's couch. Um, at this point I'd also found, um, a long COVID. Yes. That's what I want to get to is like the, so, and this is where like, if you don't, you know, think of it as like character assets and defenses, 
I am a tenacious motherfucker. And that, and I, Nicole and I have talked about this a lot. And, you know, early on, I was like, okay, I think this is long COVID. I don't know. I'm not going to sit around and wait for a doctor to diagnose me. Because, like, what does that even mean if they do? Like, this seems like this is not normal. Like, I'm not getting better. Um, so I'm starting, you know, I'm Googling. I'm looking. I find this uh, Slack channel called Body Politic, which is, like, international. That was amazing. That was where I first, so you can look up any topics and, like, people welcome you. It's, again, like my experience with Nicole. Like, the elders who were already there who were, like, Welcome to our tribe that you never chose to be a part of. But we well, we are welcoming you. And and I also want to just give a shout out to like this is gonna make me cry a little bit. The first waivers, like people who got COVID in March 2020, like before we even really knew what COVID was. There were no vaccines. Yeah. People were terrified. They did not know what was happening. Those people are on this channel. Some of them are still getting better um, because I think they weren't vaccinated. They probably had even more damage in some cases. So they've been like sick for two years, you know, working on getting better, but they're helping everybody else out. They've been gathering resources. They've realized they were the ones who first connected to me. And also, of course, through Nicole, but this is all like putting the connecting the dots. The MECFS community, so what we know as chronic fatigue syndrome, the full name is myalgic encephalomyelitis, and it's just known as MECFS, you know, like so chronic fatigue type conditions. They're the ones putting together, like, this is the same thing. Yes. Like, if you have long COVID, and there's like different versions of it for everybody, but like, we are learning. So, again, I want to give like a teary shout out to the MECFS community. And these are people who have like been struggling for. 10 years, yeah. 20 years, 30 years. I mean, Nicole, like the pioneers before we really had any information about this, yeah. who were just figuring out what helped them. Yeah. And so, you know, it's community built upon community. Like, the, again, these elders saying... As long saying, as we're doing that, it's also Christine Northrup. So my generation, the adrenal fatigue, adrenal exhaustion, um, you know, which led to my chronic fatigue and everything. It was the Christine Northrup who was str- fighting for the like body mind connection. Uh-huh. Yes. You know what I mean? And yes. then also there's a, I can't believe I, he, he wrote a book, um, adrenal fatigue, the 21st century syndrome, the largest population being women, mm-hmm. which is why there's no fucking funding for it. Mm-hmm. So again, like these pioneers around, mm-hmm. which led to this, which led to, you know. Right. So it's like, yeah, we're all building, you know, on on these yeah. um, these generations. So, yeah, so I'm learning more about all this on here. You know, people are reassuring me and just saying like, oh, here's some things, you know, I'm like, I'm doing some research. I'm learning some things that help. It's very overwhelming. Of course, I had to learn to like then stop researching at some point because, you know, then it was sort of information overload and I had to just sort of like work with a few things and, you know, also filter out. There's some very sad stories of people who are not doing well. And that's also kind of a PSA I want to share. Um, it's just like chronic fatigue, adrenal fatigue, other conditions. They are invisible illnesses because you don't see people out in the world because they're at home, because they're not doing well, and they don't have any energy to be out in the streets or getting attention for this condition. They're struggling to stay alive. They don't have resources. They don't have resources. Many people have had to stop working, um, and so they're also financially uh, limited in a lot of cases. And so there's a huge, yeah, invisible illness, a huge um, community of people who are just, you know, doing this 
sort of under the radar. Um, and so anyway, but I did have to start like moving away from some of like, yeah, those stories because it really scared me, you know, mm-hmm. and hearing about some people like, oh my God, am I going to be in this for two years or like, yeah. and just getting into that obsession. So I'm good. Then I'm led to, you know, people talk about naturopath. So I start seeing a naturopath, uh, actually, yeah, seeing the naturopath, I'm on a million supplements. I can joke about it now because there's this other great woman I'll mention who she talks about her supplement baggie that she would just have to walk around with. Like, did you hear she talked about it as the supplement war chest? Yeah. <laughs> she would just have to, like, yeah. take all these supplements. She's not having to do that anymore. Yeah. I'm also whittling mine down, but, like, for a little while, it's like, okay, yeah. a lot of supplements can help. I see this acupuncturist who I hadn't seen since I had my daughter, but I liked her, and I knew I was like, okay, I think she can help. So it turns out, this is also where it's like, okay, higher power, I know you're there and you're leading me on this path. She tells me about dysautonomia, which is, again, also, it's another sort of title, I think, of for these conditions, which is basically your autonomic nervous system. So your heart rate, you know, your breathing, all the things you don't think about that are just involuntary that your body does, it's dysregulated. Like, things are not functioning in the way that they should be because something is off there can be different reasons for this and also it can affect your hormones and so she's telling me about this because she has that condition so I'm learning about like oh and I've learned like people are talking about it on the long COVID channel um, because they're having these autonomic you know nervous system sort of dysfunction so I'm learning more about that um, and sort of the different ways to treat that and different ways to respond to it so just the fact, I mean, she's treating me for acupuncture, but she was also educating me on like, here are some different, you know, ways to understand this and to ways to respond to it. So I'm learning about that. Um, also in my long COVID recovery search, I find a therapist who she herself has long COVID and she started her own support group. I, I think it's a, like a local Portland um, group. And she tells me about a few other practitioners who have helped her and people in that community Um, She tells me about a chiropractor in particular who's helped with like post-concussive symptoms, which I, so all of these are like, these little pieces are, you know, I'm just like gathering, 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 and I'm connecting the dots or whatever analogy you want to use, but like, it's all starting to come together. And I'm doing this again, like people have done with these conditions, because the standard medical community does not have the the tools um, to help. So we're all, you know, gathering these things on our own. And it's starting to make sense um, when I heard this post-concussive, you know, chiropractor work. I'm like, yeah, there's something in my brain. And some people have had neurologic, or not, sorry, respiratory. Um, like, they've actually had, like, tissue damage from COVID. You know, that's its own thing. Or cardiac issues, inflammation of, you know, the heart muscle. I didn't think any of that applied to me. I did go back to the doctor again and they did all these blood tests. I had some like elevated protein that shows inflammation, which is common after a virus. You know, everything else is like, you look normal. And that's very common as well in a lot of these conditions, as you know, like all your blood tests are normal. I remember Nicole talking to me more than once about a doctor looking at her and just saying like, there's nothing wrong with you. And yeah. Nicole saying like, how can there be nothing wrong with me yeah, when I feel, I feel like, like this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 But that again, because they don't have the test to measure mm-hmm. what is wrong to them, that means there is nothing wrong. Right. right. So there must be no problem if we don't have a test to show what this problem is. So I start, yeah, putting together through all these, these different things that are coming to me, like there's something neurological going on with me. There's something based in my brain that is making all the rest of this happen, the fatigue, the panic, 
um, this incredible darkness. I was still, I was having those burning sensations come back in my arm that I had in the fall. Yeah, and then it would happen at certain times of the day. Yeah, sometimes other parts of your body. Yep, Uh, my heart rate, it just felt like it was like elevated kind of at all times. Yep, it wasn't going to like a resting rate. I'm just like, okay. And I learned that's also, um, yeah, can be part of what's called POTS, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. And it tends to be if people come from a reclined position or even lying down to like standing or just even sitting up your heart will race again because mm-hmm. your um, autonomic nervous system isn't communicating well and your heart's just like oh we're just trying to send blood through the body but it's going too high so that's another another thing 